1: One guest on the show today, Clinton Portis, will jump on with me in the next segment. We'll talk Washington football. Uh, We'll talk about their preseason opener tomorrow night against Cleveland. Remember, Clinton in a preseason game in 2006 chased down a defender who had picked off a Mark Brunel pass and Clinton injured himself making the tackle. Uh, I'll ask him about that, his thoughts on playing time for uh, the starters tomorrow night and I'm sure we'll get into a lot of other things we typically uh, do the show today brought to you by my bookie my bookies online casino offers everything you would want. Uh, Lots of slot machine options. Lots of roulette options. Plenty of table games, including over 30 blackjack games. Craps as well. MyBookie's online casino has over $2 million in jackpots available right now. Go to MyBookie.ag, use my promo code KevinDC to secure up to a $1,000 bonus with a $10 casino chip as well. You've got to use my promo code Kevin DC. All of the preseason football odds are up. Washington's the three-point underdog tomorrow night against Cleveland. Two preseason games tonight. Uh, a doubleheader between Houston and New England on, on the NFL Network, followed by Minnesota at Seattle. Uh, and as I've been mentioning, all of the 2023 season prop bets are up. Washington's Over-under number at MyBookie, still at six and a half. Uh, MyBookie's got fair point spreads, fair pricing. Their online casino is great. Go to MyBookie.ag, use my promo code, KevinDC. This review to start the show, I love the show, writes Redskin Roach, Gives uh, gives us five stars. Quote, I'm an American who lives in Burma. Doing nonprofit work. Your show keeps me entertained when I ride my motorcycle. I love your Tom talks, but those Doc Walker episodes are crazy. He says you don't call him. <laughs> Anyways, love your show, Kevin, and I miss Cooley. Uh, of course, I call Doc. It's the Doc exaggeration. Uh, Factor that you always have to take into consideration. Uh, We have fun with each other. I always love having Doc on the show. He's a very busy guy. He's very important. It's tough to get him uh, on a consistent basis, but uh, we will effort to do more of that. Um, Thank you, and don't forget to rate us and review us, especially on Apple and Spotify. Five stars, a quick one-to-two-sentence review is really helpful, and following us on Apple and Spotify is a big help as well. Uh, I want to respond to a tweet uh, here uh, early in the show. It comes from Mo. Kevin, the Jason Wright stuff on yesterday's show, wow, this is a problem, even more than the Eric Bienemy stuff. And you didn't even read the best quote. And then he writes the quote, um, and I don't know if I read this or not, but I'll take your word for it that I didn't read this when I was reading the Jason Wright quotes from the Jason Reed column on Eric Bieniemy, Jason Wright was the only person in the organization quoted in the story. But the last quote was, "Bieniemy is shaping and molding the culture of the offense and thereby the whole team were lucky to have him. Closed quote. Uh, yeah, the Jason Wright stuff is interesting. Um, maybe not super important, you know. Uh, Interesting, not important, as Ron would say. Uh, You know, not important necessarily to the performance of the football team. I don't know that Sam Howell's going to play worse because Jason Wright and Ron Rivera are at odds. I just personally, as I've said the last two days, I wouldn't allow him to speak on football matters if Ron, you know, kind of views it as his own toes being stepped on. Now, if Ron's okay with it, so be it, I guess. But if the head football person in the organization, and that person is Ron Rivera, is bothered by Jason Wright, you know, commenting on a lot of things and being out in the media talking football, uh, you know, let's not forget he's done it before, you know, the Carson Wentz thing with Scott Abraham last year. You know, Jason Wright talked about how important it was for him to get back from L.A. when they were interviewing Eric Biennemi. Uh, That was out in the media. I don't know that anybody was searching out what Jason Wright thought of the Eric Biennemi hire, but it certainly got out there uh, that somehow he believed it was important that he get back to be a part of the interview process with Biennemi. I think Ron probably was going to be okay closing Eric bien on his own, like I've said many times, Bienemy didn't have many options. But the bottom line is if Ron Rivera is bothered by it, then the new owner's got to put a stop to it, period. Uh, I'm not su- suggesting, by the way, that Ron is the best communicator when it comes to being the lead voice on Football Matters, uh, but it doesn't matter because he is the lead football person. And he should be the person that's out there in the media talking about football matters. Um, Ron certainly doesn't need Jason Wright pumping up Eric Bieniemy to the point of minimizing Ron's importance, you know. And that's kind of what Jason did in that story with with uh, with Jason Reed, you know, specifically taking kind of a not so subtle shot at Ron's culture building since he arrived um I just don't think it was a good look for a few weeks after the best week in 24 years that the organization has had just like I don't think what Ron did the other day but it doesn't matter he's the authority on on the football side I don't think he handled that thing well the other day talking about the enemy and talking about the players that had come to him but you know you can't be uh you know you just can't say the single biggest accelerant to the culture change Ron was brought in to do is Eric Bieniemy, and then talk about him in the in, in the way of, of him being ready to be a head coach. I mean, maybe, you know, Jason sees Eric Bieniemy as his chance to stay on, perhaps in a role that includes more football, maybe. But he shouldn't be out there talking unless Ron wants him out there. Talking. Uh, that's my position on this. But overall, is it going to affect the performance of the team on the field? I doubt it. Um, as far as Beanie goes, one last thought on this week's you know reveal by Ron about players being concerned with Beanie's coaching style. I was told last night that it's true that players went to Ron, but it wasn't recently. All right, it was more you know, either super early in camp or even maybe back to OTAs in mini camp, that that's not a thing right now. And again, you know, I mentioned the last two days, man, until Ron said something about it, nobody had heard anything about it. Nobody had heard about any kind of issue that players had had uh, with the enemy. So, uh, I did learn that these were not recent conversations with Ron. Players weren't coming to him recently, even though it was confirmed that players had gone to Ron. Now, I, of course, I tried to find out which players, and I've said before—I um, think I said yesterday—I don't. I just don't see like a young player go, going to Ron Rivera to complain. A guy that's you know a long shot to make the team. Um, so it's more likely than not, more likely than not, they were veteran players. But again, if it wasn't Terry McLaurin, Charles Leno, Jr., Wiley, Cosme, you know, Gibson, um, I, I just, I personally bet you it's not that big of a deal. At least not now. It could be, I guess. And by the way, for anybody that suggests that there, this isn't a deal at all, well, you're naive. OK, that that doesn't that just doesn't even make any sense. I mean, we can we can talk about whether or not it's a big deal or not. And I would probably lean towards it not being that big of a deal football wise. But anytime you've got players that feel like they've got to go to the head coach to talk about their, you know, their position coach or their coordinator, um, you know, that's a deal of some sort. Uh, Anyway, it's time to play some football. You know, results are the only thing that matters. Eric Biennemi is going to be judged on results. Ron Rivera, the same. Sam Howell, the same. You know, if the team is good on offense and they hate Biennemi, so what? That would be much better than they liking Biennemi a lot and sucking on offense. Uh, Lots of successful teams have players that don't have the best of relationships with their coaches. And again, I'm not suggesting that that would be what it is because the Kansas City players all had great things to say sort of, you know, after they got to know Bienemy and his style. And sometimes that all that's all it takes is just time. Uh, as far as tomorrow night against Cleveland, I'll have more of a preview, if you will, on tomorrow's show. But I'd like to see the starting offense out there for a while. I would. And maybe it's not tomorrow night. Maybe it's next Uh, Monday night against Baltimore after, you know, a few days in Owings Mills in the joint practices. By the way, I would bet that Clinton Portis will disagree with me on uh, starters playing in preseason. He was never in favor of it. But I don't want this team to get to the Arizona game and look back at these opportunities, you know, um, uh, an opportunity to play – 3 times I mean there is there are, there are three preseason games you know which are played in a stadium in front of a crowd with a game clock with a play clock with you know communication coming from a booth down to the sideline by the way I've I've under, I believe that Eric Bieniemy will be on the sideline as an offensive coordinator and not in the booth I I I was told that I don't know if that's something that many of you didn't know already. But if you didn't, now you you do know that Eric Biennemi will be on the sideline um, uh, calling plays and, and coaching the offense. But I don't know. I'd like to see them avoid, uh, you know, getting into a rhythm in the opener against Arizona. I want them to get to the Arizona game and kind of have it locked up on calling plays, communicating the plays – to the quarterback then having the quarterback communicate plays, um running plays, uh 60 minute games against an opponent with referees, with quarters, with a clock. I just think that they are in a position where they have started 1 and one 5, 2 and 6 and 1 and 4 and they've got to be sharp because that first game is actually an important game. You got to beat Arizona to avoid what could be a catastrophic start if they don't. And I know it's a week-to-week league. Before we get to Clinton, uh, I saw this story as I started to record this podcast. I thought it was a really interesting story. And it's um, a team that I'm actually very optimistic about this year. So Mike Vrabel, who is the head coach of the Tennessee Titans, and I think one of the better coaches in the NFL, He is doing something that I think is a first in the NFL. He is allowing his assistant coach, Terrell Williams, to serve as the head coach for their Saturday preseason opener against the Bears. Vrabel presented the idea to Williams, who by the way is black, a couple of weeks ago Assistant coaches have called plays or handled an an increased workload in spot duty, but taking over as as the head coach for a game is unprecedented. Williams said today in Nashville, quote, Mike Vrabel deserves a lot of credit. Hopefully more coaches will give assistant coaches opportunities to do this because there's nothing better than actually getting the experience, closed quote. Williams' opportunity extends beyond game day. He's going to take over as the head coach starting with the Titans' team meeting tonight where they will formulate a plan for who will start at quarterback and how the game reps will be situated. Williams will also have to devise a plan for which starters will play in the first preseason game. Uh, The Titans are also giving associate head trainer Matt Gregg an opportunity to lead the training staff for the game this week. Um, man, that is outside the box thinking, uh, and that is also really, when you think about it, a head coach that has a lot of confidence in himself, a lot of you know security uh, in himself. Um, anyway, uh, I'm a big fan of Mike of Mike Vrabel. I think he's just flat out one of the best X's and O's coaches in the league. Uh, from everything you read about him, players like him a lot. Um, you know that team is one of those teams, and we did this. We did this segment actually this morning on radio. Um, they're one of those teams where I think they're going to be much better than people think. Uh, they just have a. They have a lot of talent. Obviously, Ryan Tannehill is you know one of those quarterbacks that's more than capable. He's won a lot more games than he's lost. You know, I I looked this up recently, um, and I'm going to do it right now uh, because I think you'd be surprised at what Ryan Tannehill's win loss record is as a starter in the NFL. It is 78 and 65. All right. He's got 108 touchdowns, uh, 212 touchdowns to 108 interceptions. He's thrown a bunch of picks. Um, he's also, you know, a th- a five-time starter in the postseason. He's two and three in those games as a starter. Uh, I like their roster. I have liked their roster. That team was decimated by injuries last year. After starting seven and three, they lost the most games, man games, due to injury of any team in the league, and it actually wasn't even close. Um, they added DeAndre Hopkins. Traylon Burks, the first-round pick in 2022. He's got to be healthy. He hasn't been. Uh, Derrick Henry is back. Uh, I love Chig uh, Oconquo, the tight end from Maryland. I think he's a star in the making. And then their defense is nasty. It's well-coached was super well-coached, and their pair of defensive tackles, Jeffrey Simmons and and Tart. you know, they play a 3-4, but Simmons and Tart together are, to me, the best kind of inside combo other than Allen and Payne. They'll have Landry back. They still have Bayard. That's a good football team. Amani Hooker, that's a good football team. Now, they're in a division with Jacksonville, Coming off that, you know, really good finish and a playoff win, and by the way, they were in that game at Arrowhead, and Trevor Lawrence looks like he's about to take off. But I like the Titans this year, and I really like what Mike Vrabel uh, is allowing um, Terrell Williams to get experience doing. I think that that's, I think it's really interesting because these are important days as you lead up to the season. Most head coaches never want to give up that kind of control. Um, But he's going to do it for a few days. All right, Clinton Portis next, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for
0: better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data
1: All right, joining me right now is Clinton Portis. Uh, been a while since we've had Clinton on the podcast. We've had him on the radio show more recently, but I was thinking about you because the preseason starts tomorrow night for Washington. It opens up for the rest of the league tonight, if you don't count last week's Hall of Fame game. And you had uh, a very f- kind of famous or infamous preseason experience in Washington. Um, What do you remember about that game against the Bengals when you hurt your shoulder? And I mean, you were pissed, and all the fans were as well. This was back in 2006. Clinton Portis, remember, coming off a record-setting year in 2005 here in Washington, and you get hurt chasing down a defensive player who intercepted a Mark Brunel pass.
2: Well, that defensive player was Kewan Ratliff, and the only reason I was chasing him, we had a a friendly personal uh, competition going on because he was a Gator and I was a Hurricane. Uh, But what I actually remember was the fact that I attempted to avoid playing it in that entire game. Uh, I think I talked to Coach Gibbs. I'm like, bro, why am I playing? And it was like, well, you only have like five plays. I'm like, what's the point, you know? And we go out and we nail through the pick and just probably because it was rat lift and me just thinking, well, okay, I got to I gotta save this touchdown. I went to make a tackle and came up with my shoulder out of place.
1: So hold on for a second. So before – because I've got the quotes right here from you after the game. You said after the game, I don't know why myself or any other player of my caliber should be playing in the preseason. I think for the last four years, I've done enough to show the world I'm going to be ready for the season. Did you tell Gibbs that before the game?
2: Yeah, I did. Honestly, uh, I, I think it was we had a new offensive coordinator and
1: Al Saunders.
2: Uh, you know, I guess he just wanted to see everything in motion. It was an opportunity to see uh, the install of the new offense and. Uh, to to get things on film. So it was like, okay, you're going to play five plays or however many plays it was, and it was pointless. You know, I I think for a lot of the guys, uh, and I've always said, for the players that you don't know, for the guys who are trying to impress and uh, put on the team, those are the guys who should be playing in all the games. You know, maybe you give your team a tune-up. How? I don't know. But... um, I think if you give your your starters all of the training camp to go out and get ready, you know, it's hard to go out and uh, emulate four quarters, but no one is, is, is ready for four quarters at, at week one anyway. So, you know, I think it's just a matter of uh, figuring out how to do it without losing anybody. As you see now, nobody plays in the preseason. You know, you might get a, a couple throws from a quarterback, but everyone takes their guys out.
1: So I'm looking through the the game story from this game. The offense, the starting offense, only played 13 plays. So that's probably like two drives or whatever. Um,
2: yeah, and, and I think I only had one drive, and the offense had two drives. And you, so I think it was like before the game. I'm telling Coach Gibbs, like, bro, I, why am I playing this game? Like, I don't want to play. It's like you only have one drive, like the other guys have two. And I'm like, man, why am I playing? And I just remember Mark throwing the pick and, you know, me taking off in, in pursuit of uh
1: Ratliff. <laughs> yes, you did. And you hurt yourself tackling him. And now I'm learning that now if you didn't have this thing with, with Ratliff, you know, Gator versus Kane, would you have just let him score?
2: Uh I probably should have. Yeah, you know, I think um I think I definitely should have. You know, I was talking to him, he and Chad, before the game, and it was one of those, uh, again, friendly competitions where we talking and trash to each other and who going to do what. And that was my opportunity to go out and tackle right there. Pointless, is all outdoors. Like, if I had to do it, all, do it all over again, I would have took my helmet off on the field and walked off.
1: can you you imagine the dude's running it back and you get to within like five yards and then you just stop and you take your helmet off and just say no preseason that would have been funny I
2: I should have did it how players have to do the quarterbacks. You get over there and so you could have made the play and just throw your hands up. Right. Boy, I had it. Right. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. When the quarterback chases him down and doesn't want to get blocked and then just sort of veers out of the way and says, Oh, shoot, I I, I could have had him. Or the I kicker, or when a I kicker. ran to the
2: sideline and dove to their Gatorade.
1: <laughs> well, so I'm just trying to remember that – you were ready, though, for the regular season opener that year. You didn't miss the regular season at the beginning, right?
2: No. I actually uh, played. I think we played the Vikings. You we did. We the season up with the Vikings. Uh, I think I might have actually had two touchdowns. And uh, I, played, I played the first few games. I ended up breaking my hand against the Eagles. So yeah. I had a broke hand and shoulder. That's what uh, put me on IR. Because I was playing with the shoulder. Right.
1: Yeah, you played, you played with the shoulder. In fact, I've got it right here. You, um, in the Minnesota game, you, you had one touchdown. Uh, no, you had, no, you had one touchdown, sorry. Um, and then you missed the next week, which was the Dallas game, which was a Sunday night football game. It says you were inactive for that game. And then you came back that week against Houston when Brunel like completed the first twenty passes or whatever it was to set an NFL record. Remember that game?
2: Yeah, I went off in Houston.
1: Yeah, you went off in Houston. You had a big game. You had that big touchdown catch um from yeah. uh from Brunel. So um you don't think that there was any value with a new offensive coordinator, Al Saunders, in his, you know, 300-page playbook or whatever it was? You didn't think that there was any value in getting into a rhythm offensively with a whole new offense installed?
2: I didn't. I mean, you know, once you've been with the guys, it's, it's going to happen. You know, you everything is reactive. And – a lot of people look at it like, "Oh man, you're knocking the rust off. You're doing this." I knocked the rust off running around in practice. You know, you can—it's enough you can do to simulate a game or game speed, play speed. Because in Denver, remember, we did everything full speed with no pads on. Right. So we were always prepared. So I knew it could be done. Uh, it was just one of those things. I knew it could be done but they wanna look at everyone, you know, it wasn't just about me and the big picture was all the starters are playing. So I went out and ended up getting hurt because once I'm on the field, you know, I couldn't I couldn't turn it off, and be like, Okay, I'm gonna go fifty percent, that's when you get hurt. So giving it a hundred percent, I chased down a plate to make a tackle, ended up uh blowing out my shoulder.
1: Um I want to come back to sort of preseason thoughts and your thoughts on this team as it relates to the preseason in a moment. But other than that game where you had five touchdowns in Denver, which you know was one of the great you know NFL running back performances of all time, that was, I think, after your second year in Denver at the end of the year, what was your best game as a Redskin?
2: I would look back and and say that Jets game. We played the Jets in New York. uh, I think I had about 170. And uh, that was one of those physical games. I don't think the Jets defense had given up a 100-yard rusher uh, in maybe a year or two. Uh, They were a top-five rushing defense. So those were the games that I always look, you know, and and enjoy playing the Eagles where, you know, the Eagles aren't giving up a hundred yard rusher. Uh, playing the Giants, where they defense, you know, w- was playing out of their mind uh, with those ends and tucks and uh, uh, O.C. Uh, straight hands. So playing in those games where you weren't supposed to go out and perform, like it's okay if you don't do a uh, hundred yards. Like going out in the Minnesota Vikings, the G- uh, Jacksonville Jaguars, to go out and have hundred yards against those defenses that didn't give up 100-yard rushers was always special to me. So I look at that New York Jets game on the road where no one gave us a chance and we go up to New York and win.
1: Yeah, I was going to guess that one, and I just pulled up that game. You you actually didn't give yourself enough credit. Uh, Also, I'm just noticing um, we were favored in that game. We were three-and-a-half-point favorites. So you rushed 36 times for 196 yards. And a touchdown. The game went to overtime, and Sean Sweezum made a field goal in overtime to win it 23 to 20. But you had 196 yards, not 170 something yards that you said. You had a, a buck 96. And I remember those were hard yards. That was a really, really physical game. You know what else I'm noticing from that game? Liddell Betts had 64 yards. On nine carries. So when you got the occasional breather, 36 carries, you're not getting that much of a breather. But you guys rushed for 296 yards as a team if you count Jason's scrambles in there. That's amazing. Like, you just don't see. Yeah,
2: it was. And, that you know, people don't don't understand what that Jets defense was. You know, you look at it and be like, oh, that was a big rushing day. But no one understands that Chris Jenkins' Jets defense yeah. wasn't giving up any yards. Like, that was that was unheard of for them. So, for us to go up and have that performance uh, without saying
1: it. Yeah. Um, the the other game from your career here that always sticks out to me um, is the, uh, is the, is the first, is the first year, uh, in 2004, not your first run. Everybody remembers the first run against Tampa, but the game against Chicago. Um, and I'm looking up to see what those numbers were. Cause I know you had a massive day and you guys were struggling at the time and, this is, by the way, when, when Sean was wearing number 36, you know, that, that rookie year, and he had yeah he, yeah, he had a great game All right, here it is. You had 36 carries, again, 36 for a Buck 71. And I think Sean may have had two picks or one in that game. He had one pick, but he had some vicious tackles. In that game. That that's another game I remember. Because I remember, you know, the Gibbs first year, Clinton, so many of us were so excited, you know, that Joe was back and you guys beat Tampa with you touching the ball and scoring on the first play. And then you had a bunch of close losses. But I actually thought, and I am I'm curious as to what you think. I think at the end of that season, you could start to see the light that you guys were starting to get it, and the team was starting to put it together. You, you know, you weren't a playoff team, but you beat Minnesota in the final game of the year and knocked them out of the playoffs. Randy Moss—that was the game he ran, he walked off the field when there was still clock left. Like, did you have a sense in Gibbs's first year and your first year here that at the end of that first season things were heading in the right direction?
2: Of course, I think what what we walked in where we started out with at the beginning of the season to what we finished with at the end of the season, I think we had a team, which we proved that the following year. I think we had a team. Every game we played that year was, was tough. I think maybe we lost to New England uh, in a blowout, or we lost to one team in a blowout. Everything else came down to last possession. I can even remember playing Green Bay and scoring a game-winning touchdown right. and, and James Crash off-sides on James Crash yep. from moving his hand. Yeah. so. Uh, I think that's kind of where our season changed. You know, I think if we win that Green Bay game, uh, it, it's a total different season. But that kind of started a downfall. But again, we played together as a team. Uh, everyone was involved, guys was was ready, and it transferred to the following year. I think we built uh, a chemistry, we built an identity that first season of just being hard nosed, like tough physical, uh, uh, individuals and all of a sudden, you know, with Coach Williams uh, buying in, the defense, buying into him, uh, with, with Coach Gibbs, the offense. I didn't think uh, we needed to go out and have the, the huge change uh, after we uh, we won the playoff game. I didn't think I didn't think we needed that, you know. Um, but the following year after that is when we brought in Saunders. Uh, but we had went to Seattle and I think uh, Coach Rennie, not Coach Rennie, Coach Bro and uh, Jack was calling the offense. So, we had to change after that season, and it kind of switched out our identity uh, because we brought in Coach Saunders. All of a sudden, we went from downhill to everybody had to run 30 or 40 yards before the play started, and then we were asked to, you know, make a play. So... I think that 05 and team actually had a shot. You know, I, I think the locker room was that close and guys believed in each other. Uh, especially, I think we lost to San Diego at home uh, in 05. Yeah. And every everyone had wrote us off. Yep. And just the guys in that locker room believed in each other. And, and that's how the season turned around.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, well, uh, that that 2005 season was, you know, the big run at the end of the year after the overtime loss to San Diego um, when uh, LT took it, uh, you know, 50 yards or whatever it was in, in, uh, in overtime. Um, by the way, that was a Marty Schottenheimer coached Chargers team. Uh, and it followed um, North Turner the week before because we lost to the Raiders the week before at home. Back-to-back games against former coaches North Turner and Marty Schottenheimer at home, and both of those games were winnable. But then you got on that big roll. You started to run the ball. They started to go to you. And, you know, look, I, we've talked about the Al Saunders thing many times in the past. You... Cooly, everybody kind of feel like felt and and to the, to this day that it was unnecessary. But that playoff game at Seattle to me is the closest to a Super Bowl that this franchise, because it has been a long way away, as you know, from a Super Bowl. Um, but since they uh, were the defending champs in '92 when they nearly beat San Francisco to get to the NFC Championship game. Carlos Rogers had a pick six in his hands, dropped it. That would
2: have w- changed everything. Would
1: have been ten to nothing. Uh, Levar had already knocked out Sean Alexander. Um, no,
2: Sean. T. had already knocked out Sean Alexander. I
1: thought it was LeVar in on that tackle.
2: No, Sean. Son is uh, son Alexander knocked
1: him out. Of the well, well, Alexander is knocked out of the game, and Carlos Rogers early second quarter has a pick six in his hands. He drops it, and the thing about it, the, the reason that I say that's the closest, more so than say like the RG three year when we were up fourteen nothing against um, Seattle, is that you would you know who you would have played if you had beaten Seattle in the NFC Championship game? Do you remember?
2: Yeah, like the Bears, I think.
1: No, Carolina.
2: Yeah, we had already beat them.
1: Yeah, you would have played Carolina in, in in Charlotte in the NFC Championship game because they beat Chicago, and then Seattle ended up hosting Carolina and winning the NFC Championship game that year, and that's the year they lost to Pittsburgh in the Super Bowl.
2: And um, we had beat Pittsburgh that year as well.
1: You beat Pittsburgh that
2: year? Yeah, we beat Pittsburgh and uh, Seattle that year.
1: I remember – the win over um, over uh, Carolina that year. Uh, I don't remember that you guys beating Pittsburgh that year, but whatever. Uh, I'm I'm trying to look it up to see. I mean, that's the year that started. It, no, no, no. You didn't beat Pittsburgh that year. You didn't beat Pittsburgh that
2: year. So we beat Carolina that year.
1: Actually, I'm wrong about that. We didn't beat Carolina that year either. That 2005 started with that Chicago game that went with that you know no touchdowns 9 to 7 and then the miracle monday night finish with Santana and, and Brunel. Um you did okay. beat Seattle though. You beat Seattle 20 yeah, to 17. Beat Seattle. In the regular season and then, and then, then lost, lost in the playoffs. In the playoffs. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It, um
2: anyway. Yeah, so but that team was probably our our closest team. Yes. Like with with MI, with with AP, with all the guys that were on that team, uh, and and you look at the, you know after that they broke the team up. You know, you, you guys started leaving. Yeah. I think uh, Robert Royal. Uh, we lost Dockery. We lost Ryan Clark. Uh, Ryan Clark. We lost Antonio Pierce. Like all of the the meat and potato guys that we had yeah. that brought the you know that that knew their role and played. Uh, their role well, we lost.
1: Yeah, well, that 2006 offseason was the, you know, Archuleta, Randall L., Brandon Lloyd, and I know you love Brandon Lloyd. You and I have talked about him before, but all, you know, losing Pierce and losing Ryan Clark were huge. Um, And, you know, that was an example of, you know, the owner and the general manager, Vinny Serato at the time, not understanding, you know, chemistry, et cetera um and being involved by the way the other game from 2005 was the game where Allstott had that two-point conversion that shouldn't have counted mm-hmm. when they went for the 2 Tampa Bay. and and uh and against Tampa Bay that that he did not get in on that play but they you know they they said he did and that was I mean you guys I'm looking back through that season there were just gut-wrenching losses that year I mean you had yeah. You had the, the, that loss followed by the Oakland loss followed by the Chargers loss. You know, all of them were winnable games. Man, LT went nuts in that game. It was, it was, it was a Clinton-Portis, Ladanian tomlinson showdown. You had 87 yards on 29 carries. LT, 25 carries, a buck 84, and three touchdowns. Including the touchdown and overtime. Yeah, but he
2: got he got two of his in overtime. Yeah, I mean he got two of his at the end of the game. Yep, those big ones.
1: Yep, the, the the tie. He he scored on a thirty-two yard touchdown to tie it late in the fourth quarter, and then I it was the first. I think it was the first possession, maybe even the first play of overtime. He took off. Here it is. It's a forty-one yard run. Um yeah, it was it, yeah, was, the so third, was, it was the third it was the third third play of overtime. Third play. By yeah, the way, you uh, know who the, you know who the you, quarterback was for the Chargers that day?
2: Who Rivers? Nope. Uh, Breeze. Drew Breeze, Breeze was going already. Drew Breeze. Uh, yeah, well Breeze.
1: Yeah, yeah. Bree, Bree, Breeze was the quarterback. He threw 3 picks that day. Uh for the Chargers. Um, crazy season. All right. I want to talk to you about this team. We'll do that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. This segment of the show brought to you by the Circa Million and the Circa Survivor Pools out in Vegas. $14 million combined in guaranteed prizes. You've got to register at a Circa Sportsbook in Nevada, but weekly picks can be made through a proxy from anywhere. The Circa Million's got $6 million in guaranteed prizes, a million to the winner at the end of the year. It'll pay out the top 100. Five games against the spread every week uh, is the contest there. The Circa Survivor Pool is like any other Survivor Pool, $8 million in guaranteed money to the winner or winners. Uh, you pick one team straight up every week, not with the spread, uh, just to win. Uh, the team loses or ties, you're out. If that team wins, you continue on until you're eliminated. And if you're not eliminated, you win, um, even if you have to share the end of the season 8 million bucks. Uh, But uh, you can only pick the same team once per season. $14 million in guaranteed prizes, the Circa Million and the Circus Survivor, presented by the incredible Circus Sportsbook out in Las Vegas. All right, we continue with Clinton Portis. I always love when you, you, I have you on the show because we end up talking about things that I had no intention of talking about. But that 2006 preseason injury was a big deal, and it really was one of the first times I remember, Clinton, that people fan-wise, we were like, what is he doing playing in that game? So with that said, here's a team now that opens up the preseason tomorrow night has a quarterback that's played one NFL game, and it was at the end of the season, you know, and kind of a, it was almost a preseason environment. You've got an offensive coordinator who's never called plays before and is installing a new offense. So do you think that this team should give the offense very little work, or do you feel differently about this situation?
2: Um, I don't think McLaurin should play at all. I would I would I would have Terry in the game. Uh I would probably get him some work in that that third game uh or the second game. Second but game. I would I would have Terry in. Uh I would try to get the quarterback some some comfortable throws, uh just to get the ball in and out of his hand quick. Don't give him a chance to uh get sacked or anything, which you know, the, the first game is usually vanilla, not a lot of blitzes. So, this would be your opportunity to try and, and, you know, get some rhythm throws in, you know, basic defense, um, get the ball out of his hand early, and get the guys out, you know. One drive. What is one drive proven? What is two drives proven? Like, you leave after two drives, and like, yeah, boy, we're there. Like, it doesn't do anything for you. So, so, really
1: so what about the argument sense. of saying then, then keep them in for more than two drives?
2: Listen, they will have one game, and it will be clear cut. We have one, we have one tune-up uh, situation that I'm going to let you go for half of football, and I want to see our short yardage goal line. I want to see our two minute offense. I want to see all of this, like the specialties. The red zone. I want to get all of this in that half, and from that point on, it'll be preparation for Week One. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't waste it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't play around uh, because it's too many guys. That's too valuable. You know, uh, you don't want a guy to be coming into the season nicked up or banged up, and you need him for seventeen weeks. You need every fresh leg outside of that quarterback and getting his rhythm with receivers, you know, hey, go extra hard in, in, in practice, you know, against air. Get your rhythm there. So outside of seeing the quarterback and, and the coordinator getting a feel for calling plays with these guys, I wouldn't. I would go into the season. You're not going to have a, a perfect season anyway. So if you lose someone – in the process before you get that opportunity it's more of an issue than losing them when it counts
1: yeah i i hear you and i think that the most important thing in this time of year is injuries and you don't want to lose good players but at the same time they've started the th- last 3 seasons 1 and 5 2 and 6 and 1 and 4 and and they've looked you know at times to be disorganized on offense so uh, I, you know, one of the things you said, and I remember saying this to somebody last year. Who cares about what the clock says? Two minute, not two minute. Why not just start the game working on two minute? You know, and and treat it like, you, you know, you you're 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 hurrying up and you're playing your own clock. I mean, it's almost like you should treat it as a scrimmage and get the work in that you want to get the get in, regardless of what the game clock and the. And, and the time and, and down and distance, say, until they, you know, boot you off the field.
2: I agree. That goes back to what I just said. Yeah. Your specialty situations, your short yards, goal line, I'm putting that on the field. My heavy package, I'm putting that on the field. My, uh, my, my, my two-minute offense, I'm putting that on the field. I'm seeing these guys operate. I'm running, running the field goal team out, uh, to you know, as if it's the end of the game. And we got to clock it. Like, I'm working all of my specialty within, those, within that half of football. Right. And you don't care. Like, at, at week one, it resets. to zero, 0 Like, you just need that on film to see what, what to do from there. You know, everything else, I just think it's, it's too key of a situation to lose a player. You know, and and we all say Terry and the first name to come out. But you don't want Chase Young banged up. You don't want Jonathan Allen or Payne. Like, you don't want any of these guys. You can't afford to lose anyone. You know, and everybody's going to be like, we need to see Chase. He needs to be back. No. I can see Chase in practice. I can see his get-off. I can see the strength. I can see everything in practice. I need Chase week one. He more intimidating week one than in the preseason to me, I, you know. But for those guys that you have question marks for, for those guys that's not sure starters, for those guys that's fighting, then you put them on the field. But for for the guys that I know I need you every week, I'm not putting you out here to to do nothing. I don't want you to twist your ankle. I don't need to see you tackle. As things go, I know Jonathan Allen and Payne and, and chase, like, I know they're going to come around. I can't afford to have them standing on the sideline dressed like me.
1: Uh, I mean, I agree with you as it relates to those players, and and I, I'm not um, I'm not going to disagree with you with respect to offense and and what one drive or two drives means. Like to me, there's no reason for Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen, or Montez Sweat, you know, or Cam Curl or Saint Juice or Fuller. I mean, they 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 don't need the defense has been together now. I mean, this is year four for some of these guys. It's just that the offense is brand new. And you just don't want to see them struggling to function in week one against the Cardinals. Because you know what, Clinton, that week one game against Arizona, I know it's only week one, but it's a big game. Because Arizona is pretty much, according to everybody, the worst team in the NFL. And this is a new owner. It'll be a very celebratory kind of a day. They're going to have the biggest crowd they've had out there in a long time. And I'm talking about a crowd rooting for them, not the opponent. And, you know, you just want to make sure that they're buttoned up and ready to go with a guy that's never called plays, with a quarterback that's not really played in the league, and a, and a new offense. So,
2: however so you imagine, – imagine, imagine going into week one and you don't have Sam Howell.
1: Well, I don't know. I mean Imagine that's that. that's gonna that's how, my next question. How
2: celebratory how, would that be? <laughs> well I don't how know I don't,
1: I don't know how celebratory it'll be or won't be because I don't know anything about what we're gonna see from Sam Howe, but that's a perfect segue into what I was gonna ask you. You were out there, you've been out there, I know you were out there for minicamp or OTAs um, in June or whenever that was. So what do you think of Sam Howell?
2: Uh, I mean, you, you. I think that's a, a personal offense that has to prove that he deserves to be the starting quarterback. It's not a. It's not a secret. I think he has to prove that he can. He should be the starting quarterback. Now, I think it should be an open competition, and those guys are attempting to prove, hey. This should be my job. The offense flows better with with either one of those guys in it. Outside of that, I'm just not risking losing guys that I know I need. And you've seen enough out of these guys. You know who's going to fight. You know who's got it. And for those guys that you don't think got it, put them in. If De'Ami Brown is supposed to be a huge part of this offense, De'Ami Brown hasn't proven himself. As of yet, let him show out in the preseason.
1: Well, Sam Howell hasn't proved himself yet.
2: So, with Sam Howell, again, I just said, get him some safe throws, some quick throws, both quarterbacks. You know, the quarterback position is finicky. Everybody else, you know if they tough or if they're going to they gonna go out and bang or, you know, whatever, whatever it is. The quarterback position, you lose a quarterback, Hey, you—you you gotta go out and get somebody off the street. Like, you don't want to lose a quarterback. And if you don't think he got it, you know, if it takes you all all preseason to figure out which one of these quarterbacks got it, right. you don't have a quarterback. Uh, all right,
1: I, I get I get what you're saying, but back to like the question: What do you think of Sam Howell? Do you think he's the guy or not?
2: I I don't know. I haven't okay. seen enough work. Good answer. To think he's the guy. I think I think he gave us a. And excitement, the last game of the season, and he needs to build a rapport of excitement. You know, that's, that's the same that we had for, uh, what was the quarterback that just went to Atlanta?
1: Uh, Taylor Heineke, yeah.
2: Yeah, that was the same we had for Heineke. He gives you excitement and then lets you down. We need consistent, It don't. it doesn't even have to be excitement. We need consistency. That's what we need. We need consistency. Give me consistent throughout the season. Every game I can expect what from you. And that's what I'm fine with. I don't need the roller coaster. I don't need you to have 400 and then you throw for 205. I don't need you to have 350 and then you throw three picks. Like, give me a consistent 300 yards. You got a two-headed monster in the backfield. You got four wide receivers. That can play. You definitely got three wide receivers that's capable of making plays. Let your playmakers win games for you. Like, get the most out of all of these people.
1: All right. Speaking of playmakers, who, if I need to fast forward a year from now, that's fine. But I'm trying to get you to answer which of these players is more of a concern for a defensive coordinator Terry McLaurin or Jahan Dotson?
2: I think both of them you, you know you know what I really think they need If they had a number one just a big body if if you could have pulled off a of DeAndre Hopkins or someone with those two guys with Dotson and McLaurin you just need a, a a another guy because Samuel Dotson and McLaurin they all have great playmaking ability but you need that that thoroughbred number one receiver, you know, which McLaurin can be is just as far as the physical Mm -hmm. side of things, just his size don't say number one, his playmaking ability does. So I say those guys, if you can get, especially in this new offense, if they feed those guys the way that they should, like, McLaurin should get at least 10 to 12 looks a game. If your quarterback is throwing the ball 35, 40 times a game, 12 of them need to go to McLaurin. And then Dotson should get another six to eight passes per game. And now I can sprinkle in my tight ends, my Samuel, my running backs. Like I can sprinkle them in for the next 20 opportunities or 20 passes that I'm throwing. But my consistent is I'm going to let my dog be a dog, and that's McClellan. It is no ifs, ands, buts about it. That's who I'm going to feed. That's who I'm going to make defenses stop because I can counter with everyone else.
1: Um, what do you think of – I'm a big fan of Antonio Gibson. I know we've talked about him before, but I, I, you you've been out there recently. We watched Brian Robinson Jr. last year. I don't understand the hesitancy to think that Gibson can't be a 20 carry back, uh, you know, 20 carry a game back. I know that that's not how they're going to use him, but just tell me what you think of Gibson in the running back situation.
2: I think I think Gibson should get 15 touches. I don't know if they all need to be out of out of the backfield just because of the type of player he is. You can get him in space. So I, I think you can get him in space, but I think Robinson should get, you know, fifteen to eighteen touches too. Because why can't you count off those guys? Those that's thirty plays. You get about seventy-five plays a game. Stop wasting plays. Stop giving all. You don't get you people. don't get seventy-five a
1: game. That that's a high number a game.
2: Yeah, you get about seventy plays Six, a game. Sixty-three in, in I think is offenses, the average. Okay, if if it's sixty-three. Why is the quarterback throwing 45 of them? I,
1: I mean, well, I'm not the offensive coordinator. Do you think they're going to throw so it that that's much?
2: All I'm saying. I hope not. Yeah. Um, Why not go out and be a 50 50 team? Hey, we're going to run it half the time. We're going to throw it half the time. What's your. You got two backs and three receivers.
1: What's your impression of Eric Bieniemy?
2: I like his energy. I I, I love. I, when I watch his interviews, when uh, being around him, I like his energy. I like what he brings. He's the affabelle that, that's been needed within the organization for a long time. He's saying what, what it is. You know, He seems like a straight shooter, a clear uncut. This is what we're going to do. These are the, the standards. Like, Who's demanded that? No one. So I, I love his opportunity, the situation that he's in. And that he has the reins to just go out and be himself. Is no over the shoulder or no well don't say this or don't piss this person off. Let this man hey, he either gonna hang himself or he gonna set the city on fire. It's gonna be a good fire or a bad fire. <laughs>
1: there's gonna be there's gonna be smoke one way or the other. Exactly. Um, have you followed kind of the story this week where Ron Rivera said players had come to him? To express yeah, concern. That's, that's yeah, that's
2: BS. You know, I, I, I saw that, and I just think that's BS. Who cares if, you know, he's pushing you too hard? You just you need to be pushed. And what man is going to say, hey, Coach, this is too hard? Right. This is too hard. Like, I came out of the U. It was no coach that I worked at. Like, it's no coach. I didn't have that this went too hard. You know, we talked about Al Saunders in 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 running thirty yards, it wasn't that it was too hard. It was just what's the point? Like you trying to confuse the defense, I'm the one confused. <laughs>
1: um yeah, I, I I think, you know, I, I'm with you on that. I think the big thing is I just don't know why Ron Rivera would say that. You know, it's just it, you just don't you just don't yeah. say that. Um so Overall, because I do have one or one two other things I want to ask you that aren't team related. Overall, what do you think of this team entering twenty twenty three?
2: I think they have a, a a golden opportunity to reset. I think Coach Rivera has done a an excellent job at keeping the attention on football with everything else going on around it. And now that it's going to change um, in leadership, I mean in ownership and leadership, the voice of the team, the face of the team, now it's a change. I think it gives the city an opportunity to fall in love all over again. And from what I'm seeing, the support is already there. So now you just need a product on the field to give these people a reason to continue to come out and support. Like if you got a city that's been starving to support a team and they have it for whatever reason. Now everyone is back on board because they feel this is our new beginning. Now that you have that, let it be about football. Let these guys go out and play. Like keep it keep it football related. It's a fresh start. You don't have to go out and create. You don't have to go out and say anything. Let the let the play let, let the play do the talk.
1: Have you met Let
2: the play do the talk.
1: Have you met new ownership?
2: Yes, I have.
1: And what's your impression? And Who did you meet, and what's your impression I, so far?
2: I, I met everyone. I, I met every. I met everyone involved. So I think they have a, a new energy. They have a great energy. They're invested in the city. They're from the city. They have a lot going on in the DMV, and they want to win. That's the. That's the. That's the biggest thing that you got out of it. They want to win and raise this organization and bring this fan base back to what they remember as kids. And if they could get the city support behind them to do that, I think that makes the the NFC East much tougher because Philly is where they need to be. The Giants is working and Dallas is working. They have the tools to get it done. Now you put Put the commanders back in the conversation because that defense that we have is, is is shaping up to be pretty good. And offensively, now that you have the enemy and this energy that he's bringing, I think he's going to be great for this city and refreshing for this city because we haven't really had this this attack firepower since Shanahan, since Kyle Shanahan. Right. Do you and have that was a, a that was a rookie Kyle Shanahan that we had that was a newcomer Kyle Shan, Shanahan. Right. You know, so I think you get. I think you you got people in place that if you could go out and win two games before you lose a game, and you know you don't put consistent losses together, you don't go out and lose two three games in a row hey, you know what, we lost this week, we won next week. Okay, we just won two games and we lose again. You know, stay up 500. Continue to get the people out and give them something to cheer about. And stay in the hood. Don't, don't blow the season early and, you know, we down and out. We zero and four and we're fighting to get people. Like, the people are on board. Let's start out one and zero and win the games that we're supposed to win and fight in the games that we're supposed to lose. Like, show that the fight is there, show that you're not backing down, and you believe. And I think that gets that city and that fan base to come alive.
1: I mean, you're you're talking like you know a sports talk radio person. I mean, we just need the season to not get away from us because my thing every year is just let's get to Thanksgiving and still be mathematically alive, and then you know we're we're we're, we're okay. It's the seasons that get away uh, early that end up being a problem. Do you have an opinion? I know you know this is an issue with a lot of the fans. I mean, a significant majority of the fans don't like the current name. They don't like the current branding, the uniforms, et cetera. There's a huge petition out there to bring the name Redskins back. What's your opinion if you have one on the name issue?
2: I I would love the name Redskins to come back. But how do you, you know, if, if that is possible, it would be great. Like, it would, I really think, that would be a nut, that would be some more gas on the fire that the city is already uh, sitting on the flames that the city is already sitting on. So that would be outstanding, you know. But I I'm just not sure if that's doable. So I don't know how to. I always say Redskins anyway. If you realize I haven't said football team or Commanders, <laughs> this entire I, it's, it's hard
1: for me too. Because, yeah,
2: yeah. I, I played for the Redskins, so. Yep. Is no disrespect. It's, if I'm speaking my truth, I'm talking about the Redskins. That's who I played for. That's what I know. So that's it, you know. And if, if the city can rebrand and, and bring that name back, man, I think I think that will be outstanding. I'm just not sure. It you know for all the negativity that we got from that name,
1: I know. I, I, I,
2: other, I you know
1: yes, it's. I, I'm with you. I would love it, but I don't actually think it's realistic because you know, there's corporate dollars at stake in the NFL. I don't think the league would allow it. But so let's assume that that's not available even though we both admit we'd love that, which I which I would. Are would do you still want to see the name changed to something different?
2: Man, you know, I I just think I think the 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 Washington football team or a football club would have worked yep. before they went to commanders. It just didn't give you, a, you know, I think that would have worked because it was an easier transition instead of a, a rebrand, you know but I don't I don't really worry about whoever they are within that organization what this city is, is fighting for, no matter the name, they need somebody that's going to go out and represent. So if you get that, nobody cares. They could be the mailboxes. If they can figure out a way <laughs> to win, the city of support.
1: Everybody
2: um, have on a UPS outfit. <laughs> <laughs>
1: what, what has Brown done for you today? Um, exactly. They'll figure it out. I'm with you, and that is, you know, assuming Redskins doesn't come back, I just would want the brand to be Washington. Washington football club, Washington football team, you know, FC Washington, whatever. That's what I, that's my preference if Redskins isn't a possibility. All right, one more for you. Did you see what Albert Hainsworth said about you, Cooley, and D. Hall last week?
2: Yeah, man, you know, you, you see, I never responded to that. I just think, man, buddy better leave me alone, you know, like, for anybody that know me, we've had enough stories that to come out about me. I've, you know, I've been honest about everything. I've been an open book my entire career. You know, I, I haven't been in a tunnel with him. Didn't really spend a lot of time with him, so I just know it's, it's not one. It's not one clip. Not one clip that you could ever play that you can look and say, "Hey, Portis." shut it down, court is laid down, it's not worn. So it's no need to entertain that conversation. You know, I think it was one of those where he felt like I've always told the truth. That's the one thing about anything that come out of my mouth is from my memory, how I I remember. And it's rare that it's been, hey, no, that's not what happened. This is what happened. Or something else came out to prove it. Everything that I've ever said from the conversations that we've had, when you say "oh, off record," and I tell you, it's no off the record with me. This is what happened, or this is what it is. Like I've—that's me. And the only thing, the only time I've ever spoke his name was in me sharing a story of him laying down in Detroit and coming back out of the tunnel, and how funny that was to me. I've never said anything negative about him. Hey, man, you came in here, you got your money. That's hey, whatever it was or for whatever reason it didn't work, that's not my business. I share one story about you. So for you to come out and say this and you know, like, man, we not homeboys and I, I know I know your truths, you know, like I know your real truth. So you better
1: leave me alone, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, you and uh, so I was with Cooley last weekend out in Wyoming, and he—it he, was the day that the news came out, and he said what you said. I, I'm not going to respond to this, and I—you—you you know what? You guys don't have to because you have people out there that'll respond for you. I mean, when I heard this, and when everybody else in in town heard this, he doesn't realize it, but he was describing himself. He wasn't describing the three of you. Um, which, uh, you know, you don't have to add to it all. All right. Uh, this was fun as always.
2: Man, I've never been in the tunnel with Buddy man. So, yeah, you know, all
1: right, I'll... all right. this was good. I'll, uh, I'll call you before the season starts and we can talk some college football too. All
2: right. All Clint- right. Peace
1: out. The Clinton Portis, ladies and gentlemen, uh, always good to catch up with him. Uh, all right. That is it for the show today. Back tomorrow. Second and 10 from the 33-yard line.
2: They are in overtime, tied at 20. Portis. Portis across the 40 and dives ahead for
1: a Redskins first down. Second down and 8. Portis running left into Jets territory. Inside the 40. Finally forced out of bounds by Dyson. The Jets, 48 after gaining 22 yards. The Redskins with a chance to win the game.
2: 46-yard field goal attempt by Sweezum. Sleason. Sweezum's kick. Does it have the distance? It does. The Redskins
3: win in overtime and raise their record to 5-3. and three. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium?